Hello everyone, it's Tim from the PC Games and Podcast, and it is a Thursday, but you're listening to this on a Sunday, and we have some men distributed around the UK to talk to you about PC games. In London, we have Steve Hogarty. Hello Steve. Hello, how's it going? Are you alright? I'm good. Are you dying from smog? Uh, yeah, there's like a choking Saharan dust storm that's sort of consumed the entire city. It's a bit like something out of a sci-fi film. Okay, but you're alright. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you're not inside out. <laughs> it hasn't turned me inside out yet, no. <laughs> I actually feel a little bit better now, though, there is a smog cloud, because like, I was walking around yesterday just coughing loads, I was thinking, oh, I really need to cut back on the smoking. No, it's just like, no, it's just that there's pollution. Oh, yeah. Smoke more. It, it can't possibly be smoking that's bad for you. It no, must be the smog. Not at all. If anything, my lungs are better hardened to smoke than your weak, uh, uh, virginal right. ones. My pink, tasty lungs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Reading, not dying yet, is Julian. Hello there. Hey. Hello. And um, somewhere in the north, I forget where, uh, is Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy. Hello. Hello. Are you dead yet? I haven't seen any White Walkers yet, but it's that sort of weather. Okay, right. So, shall we talk about some PC games? Yes, please. Okay. Um, Julian has some news. Yeah, Kerbal and NASA are collaborating. NASA's got a planned manned mission to an asteroid that's going to be happening in 2022, and uh, Kerbal have recreated it in their uh, space engine. So they've essentially crowdsourced the solution to um, them sending a rocket to harvest an asteroid by giving it to the brainiest PC gamers in the world. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, this sort of shows that uh, PC gamers are eight years ahead of NASA. I, I, it's true. So um, I can't play Kerbal Space Program because I just I'm not clever enough for it, and um, I just really struggle to uh, even get close to it. But I, I love, absolutely love the community, and um, for me, just watching what people are doing with it is just so cool and so interesting. And I saw um, I saw this crazy guy the other day who'd essentially uh, worked out a system for colonising other planets in Kerbal Space Program. Now, you can't colonise other planets in Kerbal Space Program yet, but he built this kind of mothership. Um, he got a little lander that was attached. Um, he got a uh, reusable space um, delivery system so that he could go from the planet back up to the spaceship and back down again. He, got, he could deploy satellites from outside this one big mothership. And I was like, yeah, you should get a job at NASA. <laughs> or the European Space Agency, because that's just really, really, really clever. Um, Steve, you play Kerbal, don't you? Is this mission hard? Um, so I haven't played the NASA mission yet, but um, it looks like... So people have made a number of mods, because um, this is like an asteroid redirect mission, isn't it? They're, you're yeah. trying yeah, to right. move the asteroid so that it doesn't hit the planet Kerbal. Um, is that right? So it's a, it's a, that I thought they were going to, you get to it and you do move it, but you, haven't you got to bring back samples from it as well? Yes. So it's, okay. um, there have been like mods to, um, to do similar things, but, um, obviously without the backing of the Kerbal guys, they've been a little bit chunky. Okay. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool that, um, that this, uh, has an official implementation now. But, um, so, so I, um, I watched Gravity, uh, again last night. Um, and all I could think about was the terror that I put um, my little Kerbal Morts through um, in the kind of hilariously bad rockets that I've launched. I had this moment of pure sadness. Uh, you know that scene where, um, where Sandra Bullock's kind of slowly rotating with her pants? Um, 
I just kind of thought of the, my little astronauts in that situation and the trauma and pain and drama. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. It does. So I, I love Kerbal, and it's like it does have that moment of. Um, I think it sort of captures something magical about space travel, and that you do strap yourself or you strap your Kerbals onto the top of this a rocket that you've built yourself that might not work. You fire them off up into space on the back of this explosion. And then once you do get into orbit, like that's like one of the first achievements that you can um that you can make in the game is uh is, is getting into orbit and everything just gets really quiet. All the sound drops away because you're in space. This lovely sort of ambient music starts playing and then like you're you're floating and it's like so serene and calm. And um, you can take your little kerbals out and fly them around and stuff and start doing bits of science up in space. So it does have that sort of gravity sense yeah. of um, of constant peril. But also that um, that scene that you just described, I always thought that was a very peaceful scene where she's all like womb-like and uh, in her pants. Because as we all know, babies are in their pants when they're in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one thing I want to know about kerbal is like... Because... Uh, more and more you're getting these missions which are sort of um, building on the achievements you've already accomplished. So for instance, like the idea of getting into orbit that first time and then um, the next time I'll be like, you need to get to the moon and so on. Do you leave, like, detritus in the galaxy? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, all, it's all persistent. So um, you can put something into orbit and then go back to your, uh, your space headquarters and build a new ship and fly up and... Um, uh, meet that ship in orbit to dock with it. Um, all of the sort of boosters that you that you shed when you're when you're doing, going through your launch stages, they all fall back to the planet. Some of them explode, some of them might not. So you do have bits of debris everywhere. So if you if you've been playing the game for a number of in-game years, the uh, the solar system is full of like just junk. That you've that you've left all over the place, That's like brilliant. bits of old spaceship, and like you're flying through it, like the history you've created. Yeah, That's so yeah, you, you see like these old old satellites that you've since because there's a career mode now where you unlock new technology. Yeah. Uh, these old satellites become like redundant, but they're still up there, so you can start launching missions to sort of uh, uh, meet up with these satellites in space, and then like bring them back down to the planet to to destroy them, which mm. is like something that NASA's also doing that. The the uh, the problem of having all this debris up in space is uh, is becoming like a, a thing they're trying to tackle, mm. and uh, so you can sort of Kerbal's kind of a game where you have to make your own fun. So you would launch your own missions to go up into space and sort of clean it up a bit. Because yeah. I mean, like, um, what's it, so this new edition brings like uh, the grabber, so you can like redirect the asteroid. So could you, you could technically rather than move it out of the path of Kerbal. Um, redirect it so it it hit your own satellites or or, or would break into orbit and actually um, collide with your space station sort of thing. Uh, sorry, your your ground station. There was an amazing post um, from someone who'd captured the asteroid, brought it back to Earth, and then mounted it on the top of their space uh, <laughs> space center. <That's> amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's but that's just kind of crazy because not only did they have to bring it back to Earth, they then had to build a vehicle to pick up. The um, the asteroid in the atmosphere and carry it onto the top of the building and mount it there. So it's not like they could just roll it over. They had to kind of build their own um, ridiculous kind of spider thing to, to carry it. Just an amazing, amazing game. Right, shall we talk about something else? 
Next story we've got is DICE have announced that they don't think Battlefield 4 servers are uh, competent enough, and that's why everyone's been having bad lag. So they're now going to buy new servers for everyone. Well, I could have told them that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is for, like, maps with 64 players on. Yeah. I would love to see 64 players in a match on Battlefield 4. I've not played very much, but mostly it's just been moving around in these playgrounds that feel like they're built for a higher purpose, but it's just me and a few yeah. other guys. I, um, I've i been really struggling with Battlefield. I've, I think Battlefield 4 is probably one of the most disappointing games the past kind of decade, actually, and how it's played out and how um, how it's um, actually kind of... You know, the, day, the, the minute-to-minute moments in Battlefield that you want just don't seem to be there. The technology is creaking at the seams. It's had an absolutely awful um, first four months. And the thought of kind of chucking more money as a premium subscription to get more DLC when they're still, you know, it is still a shonky, shonky game is um, is absurd. I just, yeah. like, how they got four months in before they thought, you know what the real trouble is, is that our servers can't handle the game we've been making for the last two years? Yeah. Three years? Well, it's because they had so much other trouble that they've been dealing with first. Well, the, 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 the problem is, I've said this before, um, the Battlefield's problem is, is primarily, I think, a business model problem, in that every year, or every 18 months, or um, so they have to build a single-player campaign and a load of new multiplayer levels and build a load of new big features and put that onto a disc and stick it out for all the consoles. And that the the game they're trying to make is a service game. It's a League of Legends, or it's a Dota, or it's um, it's an MMO, really. That's what they're trying to make. But because they're still welded to how the consoles work for um, for making Battlefield kind of in you know, this iterative way, they they have to stop what they're doing and then move on to the next thing all the time. And those cycles are so punishing. And I think everything about what has happened with Battlefield this year is a consequence of them doing that model and then having to do it across the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, the PC, the Xbox 360, the um, PS3. Um, yeah. And it's just like something had to give. There's uh, a I reason think- why... Team Fortress 2 isn't on consoles and I think that yeah. speaks to exactly what you're saying. Like imagine if DICE were working on the same development model that Valve were using to create Team Fortress 2 and what Battlefield could be by now if they'd done that. Yeah, it's, it's it drives me absolutely crackers and it makes me so sad because the, the basic idea of Battlefield is so good. Yeah, and I think another consequence of that is that it doesn't really seem to have a proper community. Like it has all these, all these systems for working in squads and the commander mode and all that stuff, but I don't see it being used because there's no mm. people that aren't invested in it. I don't. Think. I, I do wonder if um, if the actual model of Battlefield isn't as fun as you think it's going to be. Um, so Jeremy and I were playing on a server a little while ago, and it was a no revolution server. It's uh, hilarious. Feel... It was Battlefield Four's. Headline feature, Levolution. Fell skyscrapers, first server we go on. These guys saying, don't you dare level that skyscraper. That's the sort of a server. But the weird thing is, is that I, I get it now, because the, what they really wanted to do, um, the guys who are playing, was just play on the, on the skyscraper on the siege of Shanghai, because that's a really, really good 
small controlled multiplayer map. Um, there's like two little islands, a swimming pool you can hide in, there's a lift that can take you to different floors. And playing in that area, just with guns, is super, super fun. The rest of it, with all the tanks and the helicopters and um, you know, running endlessly running between capture points, is much less fun than that little control bit over there. So um, so we blew up the skyscraper, brought it down, triggered the evolution event, and ruined their fun. Um, oh, no. Which sounds awful now when you think about it. <laughs> Tim did it. I, I just enabled it. I provided the tools. <laughs> provided the response. It sounds, it sounds much worse than it is. But it, the um, fact was, we did it because we were a bit depressed by it. Like, yeah. playing Titanfall since, which feels like such a tight game, Battlefield's maps, yeah. even Shanghai, is so large, and you spend half of your time looking at the minimap going... Uh, where's where's the fight happening? Oh, it's over there. I'm going the wrong way. I'll I'll head back that way. And if you're lucky, you'll reach the fight at some point during that 20 minutes. So I think um, I think the consequence is that I'm probably going to skip the next battlefield, um, just because I can't be bothered faffing around with it. Um, Jules, any more news? Yeah, um, the other news that came out this week is, uh, well, I mean, we've known for a little while that um, Age of Mythology was going to be re-released as an extended edition, um, and we finally got some of the details of that yesterday. So um, uh, it's going to have HD graphics, um, a new trading card game, and Steam achievements, and uh, that sort of stuff, as well as um, being lined up with the uh, Steam servers so you can get solid multiplayer games. Has anyone else played Age of Mythology? Yeah, I played it. The thing about Age of Mythology is the best part of it was a a god power where you could turn units into farmyard animals. And Hearthstone does that now. So I don't think there's actually a reason for Age of Mythology (laughs) to exist. I think think that is unfair on Age of Mythology. I thought it was an outstanding game. It was a good game. I'm actually really kind of heartened by Microsoft's quiet, um, gentle re-establishment of themselves as a PC as a PC developer by just going back and saying, hey, we should probably just put this game on Steam and just be done with it. Um, for all their kind of craziness, actually sitting down and saying, hey, we should just make this available seems a really kind of good thing to do. Um, and it helps that Age Anthology is dead good. But also, it's good that they're not sort of just simply releasing it on Steam. They are actually going, going back and re- updating it at least so it's not sort of just a bog standard release it's sort of actually yeah. like, this is we, we recognise it's been six years since this game came out Here's, it's been up, we've updated this for you um, it's also quite interesting seeing how so when they released Age of Empires 2 that was um, developed by Hidden Path um, like a small uh, studio which has been hired by people like Valve got them on board to do um, Global Offence and so on but, yeah, uh, Age of Mythology is being done um, internally so it's really? like oh, um, I didn't know that. Uh, as far yeah. as I can tell, like it, it doesn't. It's not being handled by a Hidden Path. I think it's just Microsoft Game Studio. So it's sort of. It's almost like they're spooling up a studio yeah. now to start working on their old games. That's really interesting because mm. I mean the, the big question is always is Halo coming to Steam, and um, it's not. It's not like there isn't a version of Halo that you could bring onto Steam already, um, because um, they, the original Halo did come out. Um, and it was really, really interesting because it was super, super popular um, on Steam. Um, no, sorry, super, super popular at the time. But then I think they turned off the main... I think it was a, ca- um, a casualty of when GameSpy turned off their servers because the, the 
main server browser was hosted by GameSpy, when that went all um, belly up, you couldn't really find Halo servers in game. You had to use a separate server browser. And I think that probably killed off most of the community. Mm. Um, I remember a big draw of the original Halo. Sorry to go off track, but was that you could um, you could play it while you installed it, which seemed, Microsoft seemed to think was a big deal, a big problem that had to be solved at PC oh, games. Shit. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So I don't think anyone, no one minds sitting down for twenty minutes while that something installs. No, it's kind, of, it's kind of satisfying watching it go up. I love a progress bar. And also, at so yeah. that point, you've already got a captive audience. Like, um, no one's going to. Well, this is installing. I can't play. <laughs> just throw, that, just throw it out. Um, Steve, what's your favourite progress bar? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, Sorry you know what? Windows Seven, the much maligned Windows Seven. Um, yeah. It's uh, sorry, Windows Eight. Um, it's got its progress bars are far better than anything that Microsoft had done in the they past. Are, so they are dead good, aren't they? If you're if you're moving a file from one place to another, this is a this is a pro tip. Click on the more details button, and you get a a graph that shows the speed at which they're being transferred over time. Um, so, like, delete a big file, you can see how fast your hard drive's working to get rid of it. It's um, some really a top progress bar, in my opinion. Yeah. I can't decide if I prefer progress bars which are steady in their incline or go up through leaps and bounds and surprise they, you. See, no, the mm. thing is, a leaps and bound one, what's the point of having it? Like, it's, 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 well, it's, I, I know, the point is. It's like a, a, a thing. Like, it's, it's a, like, there is no point in having a progress bar which isn't steady. Like, it's, it's a, what, what's it telling you other than the fact that here is a number, now it's a different number, but I can't give you any indication of how long it's going to take? It's well, that's night... a psychological thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's always there. Oh, no, it could be stuck on 99% for the next hour. Every, but like, every progress bar um, within games completes. And then spends another thirty seconds thinking about it before <laughs> yeah. you actually get into the game. Finishing dot dot dot. Yeah. It doesn't really quickly. It's like sort of. Wait a second. That seemed a bit too fast. Am I sure that I've done everything right? I'm going to go back and double check. One of my friends uh, works for. Um, I won't say where he works. He, he works in web design for a large um, video games company, and they were getting lots of uh, complaints that their website was was slow to load. So he just made one change to it. When the website was loading, there's a little, you know, the circular progress bars, the, the sort of the loading yeah. things. You just sped that up. <laughs> <laughs> and so all the complaints about the website being slow went away. Well, do, we have some, do we have some more news? Well, it's not, like, not quite news. Um, this weekend, I was in Poland with Wargaming to see the grand finals of the World of Tanks tournament. And... Uh, on one of the days, they sent us around a uh, Polish uh, war museum uh, to try out tanks and that sort of thing. And I've recorded the audio uh, tour because uh, it was really interesting. Um, and so uh, here's that in translation. You are the Polish Military Technology Museum in a very special place in a 19th century Russian fort. It's an, not an accident that there is a Russian fort in Warsaw. Um, it was built when uh, Poland did not uh, have its own state. Russians built a huge fortress uh, to protect themselves from a Western invasion. But the fortress was never used by them in combat. In 1915, the uh, 
um, German uh, troops walked into Warsaw without one uh, shot being fired. In 1918, um, the Polish uh, soldiers were here, and uh, the Polish state um, came back after 123 years. We enjoyed freedom uh, for the next 20 years until the outbreak of World War II. That's when this uh, fort was uh, uh, for the first time used in uh, combat. Polish soldiers fought here in September 1939. 123 of them were killed in action. It came into play again in 1944 during the Warsaw Uprising. 16 soldiers of the Home Army uh, were killed here um, from a bomb blast. It was just a small part of what was going on in Warsaw at at the time. In uh, 63 days of the Warsaw Uprising and uh, afterwards, 200,000 people were killed in Warsaw, including uh, 180,000 civilians. This was a very high price um, that was paid for for having an uprising that was only to show our Polishness. After World War II, we uh, found ourselves in the Eastern Bloc, uh, which we had no influence on, even though Polish troops fought on all four uh, fronts of World War II and this uh, we were part of the Eastern Bloc until 1989 this was a time that was very special for us as a museum as well uh, in 1989 because this was when um, the idea appeared to create a Polish military technology museum and since then we have uh, been able to gather the largest collection um, of military technology uh, military equipment in Poland we are quite uh, a young uh, museum as you may have seen we are are continually le- looking for uh, new solutions to uh, keep and preserve the uh, military equipment in good condition. Of course, as everything, this uh, requires money and uh, decisions at a high level. But we are working on uh, changing this place so that when uh, the next playoffs in Warsaw take place, you can uh, find a completely different place here. Uh, this museum boasts a lot of uh, exhibits that uh, um, are very unique and this is the only place where you can find them. For example, fortification uh, elements from the Molotov line. Russia would love to have it in their artillery collection at the St. Petersburg Museum, but they won't have them. <laughs> I won't tell you about all the exhibits here because we would like to show you our vehicles uh, in operation. But of course, uh, we are at your disposal and whenever you come to visit Warsaw, you, can, you feel free and uh, Uh, We will show you around. You might want to have a seat. Okay, Um, so uh, Jules, what have you been playing this week? Uh, I've been playing a fair bit of Hex. Okay. Um, Hex is a a new trading card game slash MMO, which is being developed by Cryptozoic, the people who um, made the original... World of Warcraft trading card game um, and it's really really good. If you've only had Hearthstone as an experience of um, trading card games, this is just simply much deeper and uh, you can do a huge amount more with your cards uh, the main thing that's different is that you have this thing called pass priority which means that like um, uh, your opponent has an opportunity to play cards uh, in response to all your actions. So for instance if um, you were summoning some creatures to the board, um, they might be able to use a spell which would either damage them as they come onto the board or send them back to your hand. Um, and then like, later when you you've, like cast an attack spell, they can counter those and that sort of thing. And, and similarly you can do the same to them. But it just means that sort of like at every stage of the game you're really worried that the person might have something in their hand which is going to completely foil your plan. 
It's like so, XCOM Overwatch, but with cards. Yes. <laughs> nice. So the, the thing I like just blew my mind when I was reading this stuff was um, your cards have many backs. Yeah. Right. So this is all a bit quantum. Um, but you're going to have to explain it because I just I still look at it and go. Is that amazing, or have they just broken the universe? I don't know. I think I love it. It's um, it's so basically the, the hex is um, only a digital game. Like there's never been a physical version of the card game. Like um, Magic the Gathering then had a digital game made of it, and so they were just looking at what they could do with that. And so it's basically so you've got the front of the card, which has got like your picture of the uh, creature and what uh, stats it has and so on. <clears throat> then the back of the card, which is sort of just like a nice picture of the hex logo. And, and then you can turn the card over again, um, and it, it, it's a third back, which is, like, full of, um, it's got, like, XP and trophies and, like, achievements that you've unlocked for that card and so on. And it's just this, I love the idea that they've just sort of, well, <laughs> this is digital, you, you could just turn it over again. Um, but, yeah. So, if you think about what that card looks like, it is a, it is not a card, it's a triangle of paper. Yeah, I suppose uh, it's like a prism. It's, it's like one of those things you get advertising desserts in certain restaurants. You turn around and not very you're, posh restaurants. So you're you're playing with Toblerones, quantum yeah. Toblerones. <laughs> My Toblerone beat your Toblerone. Hand over yeah. the Toblerone. <laughs> so um, can I play Hex now, or have I got to wait for um, wait so, for it to come out of beta or something? Um, at the moment, it's only available to Kickstarter backers. Oh, okay. um, but I got an email this week saying that uh, it will be moving into a more open-ish beta soon. Is it going to have a, a kind of soft launch like Hearthstone? Yeah, so basically uh, there's huge amounts to Hex when it is eventually released, but at the moment they've just got the core PvP card game going. Um, later it's going to have this whole um, PvE uh, storyline where like uh, you uh, go off and do dungeon quests and raids with your friends and that sort of thing and there's like equipment you can uh, give to your character which will affect the cards that you're playing um, but at the moment like the, the first stage that's going to be coming out is just the um, uh, the player versus player stuff and tournaments that you can um, then uh, take part in I think I'm going to play it I think it sounds good Jeremy, what's your been playing? Um, I've been catching up on Burial at Sea I've played about an hour of the new one, part two, which is insane. It's it's a different game. Mm-hmm. It's a proper stealth game. You've played this, obviously, Steve. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. It's so it, I'm so glad that they redeemed themselves before they shut up, shut up shop. Yeah, and um, is there anything you can describe it um, about, like what it's about, or kind of what happens in it, without being huge spoilers the first 20 minutes not willing to talk about at all because it's just um, it's too spoilery but it's the most I just uh, gasped gust and grinned throughout it It it's probably the boldest opening Irrational I've ever done Um, and the game itself is uh, he plays Elizabeth which uh, changes things a lot doesn't it Steve yeah um, I think it's not spoilery to say that um because I think the main question people have is, can you do all of Elizabeth's magic tricks, opening tears and stuff? Yeah. Um, but for gameplay reasons and narrative choices, um, you don't have your, your dimension opening powers anymore. Um, the main difference is um, 
is that you're not so while you can use guns and weapons you're not as proficient at combat as as Brook, uh, booker was um so you are more inclined to use to use stealth yeah and there's um, a focus on non-lethal methods isn't there and creeping up behind people and boshing them on the head yes or shooting them with sleeping gas uh, they've added the darts. 1998 mode whereas which is a counterpoint to the 1999 mode um yeah so system shock 2 came out in 1999 and thief came out in 98 which i think is the significant thing there yeah and 98 mode is uh i think it's you're aiming for a non-lethal playthrough yeah it feels like that's possible already Mm. i think i got through most of it without killing anyone um i think it's it's not it's not a huge challenge to 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 get your head around because your non-lethal options are so plentiful. Like your melee attack will knock out enemies as long as they can't see you, um, and it's it's even forgiving that like you could wait around a corner and as soon as they step in front of you, you can jump out and bash them in the face and they will still fall over. Yeah. Um, as far as I can tell, maybe on higher difficulty settings this might be different, but they don't get up again once you knock them out either. No, they make a cute snoozing noise. Yes. <laughs> so that's about it. But it feels completely different. It's. Um... The world feels slightly bigger. I don't know whether it is. Whether your mm. perspective is slightly lower to the ground, the fact that you're alone makes a huge amount of difference. Yeah, not um, having like a peppy sidekick running around with you, commenting on everything, just makes Rapture feel so much more like lonely and scary and like beautiful when you when you sort of it has those um, moments of reveals when you walk into this huge grand room and you see this amazing sight. It's sort of it's made all the more poignant by you just being utterly alone. Yeah, um, it feels a lot more like Bioshock One in that way. But yeah. it has stuff that that they never even attempted in that game. Like uh, surfaces are a huge thing, almost like the original Thief, where um, you have this in New Thief as well, where there's broken glass. But that's about as far as it goes. In this, you've got you know puddles and carpets and wood surfaces, and you've got to pick your route to try and be as quiet as possible. Mm-hmm. It's even got lockpicking. <laughs> yeah, actual lockpicking, rather than telling somebody to lockpick. Yeah. So um, everyone should play it. It's worth yeah. it's worth enduring Bioshock Part uh, Burial at Sea Part One to get to play Burial at Sea Part Two. Burial Overall, C the DLC part... is. Yeah, Burial at Sea Part One is very short for one thing, and it's it's quite good. Um, I'm wondering whether you could actually just skip that. I think you can, to. because I just, I just tried to load it up and um, it didn't look like I needed to have played part one. Yeah. So, um, there's a, so, I so think stuff there's happens a, in it, it's, it's all right. <laughs> I think there's a previously in Bioshock thing that it does, so if you wanted to, okay. you could, presumably you already have a copy of Infinite, you could jump straight to that, and I think you could probably get up to speed fairly quickly. I think I would recommend people don't look at the previously on Bioshock thing, because it doesn't recap... Um, it recaps Burial at Sea, but it recaps key points in the original Bioshock. That oh, that's if true. You, if you're halfway um, able to figure these things out, you'll look at the plot points that they're recapping in the original Bioshock and go, oh, I can guess what they're going right. to come back to in this in this D- DLC. Oh, okay. That's true, yeah. So, yeah, that's I, I would avoid looking at the recap thing. If you really do need to brush up on Bioshock, go back and play it, I guess, would be a great way of uh, tying the two games together in your head. So, I mean, with um, Irrational now having shut, shut its doors, is 
do we know if this is the end of Bioshock? Because it's two K probably really wants to do something. Will it, will it be handed off to another studio? Or it's not the end of Bioshock. It is the end of Irrational's Bioshock. But I don't know who on earth two K are going to hand it to. They've shut down two K Marin as well, mm. who made Bioshock Two. I'm I'm kind of worried that they'll give it to Gearbox. Oh, I God. don't think I'd like that very much. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> they must okay. be very aware of of how it would be the biggest sort of. They know that their fans, fans of Bioshock, are hyper aware of who. It's very. It's an auteur's game. It's yeah. like Ken Levine's uh, opus, and they're going to be hyper aware that it's going to be handed over to a studio that haven't worked on it before. The, the, the amount of respect people have to have for it, really. Um, are yeah. Arcane owned by Zenimax, or are they a free Yeah, studio? they are. They're, not, ah, they're okay. no longer free agents, so they couldn't possibly work on it. Rumour has it as well that they're working on uh, Prey 2 and they're turning it into a system shock alike, so they might already be making that game. Mm. I saw the um, Prey 2 demo at E3 a couple of years ago. It's really, really interesting. Um, I thought yeah. the game looked great. Yeah, I was um, really excited for that game. It seemed bizarre that it just it didn't come to fruition. Like in sense of it, it seemed like a really compelling idea, like uh, the idea of you being a bounty hunter in an open city to go. Um, I, Stranger's Wrath, the um, Oddworld game, is that sort of idea, and it's brilliant fun. Um, but uh, yeah, it, yeah, I think that series is just cursed. You can't make. <laughs> A prey game under just one developer, it has to be no. snatched away and given to another, at least one other. What have I been playing? Um, no, Jules, what have you been playing? You've been playing Hex. Steve, what have you been playing? I've been playing uh, Child of Light oh, by okay. Ubisoft Montreal, which I'm, I'm writing about right now, so it's fresh in my brain. Okay. Um, Child of Light is a side scrolling RPG by Ubisoft Montreal, the Far Cry guys. Okay. Um, and it's built in the UbiArt framework, which is the engine that uh, Rayman, the new Rayman games, were made in. But um, I didn't know what to expect from it. It's a very sort of, um, very sort of dream-like, airy fairy. You're a girl trapped inside a dream, uh, trying to find your way back to your real life as a princess in 1895 Austria. Um, so you sort of have to go along on the ride for that one but um it's it's really good it's a lot more it's it's there's a lot more depth to it than i thought there was going to be um there's like simple in the overworld there's simple block pushing puzzles and stuff but any enemies that you encounter drops you into a turn-based uh fighting like a, a japanese rpg style fighting system in which um there's a timeline at the bottom of the screen that goes from left to right and during a certain part of the timeline you can cast spells if you cast spells while the enemy's in their spell casting part of the timeline, you'll interrupt them and knock them back. Um, you have like multiple characters with uh, who are more magic focused or more um, attack focused. Um, it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of depth to it, and um, I played it for about two hours, um, and yeah, I just found myself very engrossed by it. Um, one of my favorite things about it is um, all of the dialogue is spoken in rhymes. So yeah. it's very poetic. Um, there's one character called Rubella who's a, a jester, and she um, she for some reason cannot speak in rhymes. So she'll she'll set up she'll do like three perfect rhyming lines, and in her last line she'll always 
use like the wrong synonym of the word that she's looking for and like break the rhyme <laughs> so it's, it's quite fun to just uh to to uh to just to to read her her text and also even in the menu screens like the descriptions of items are often rhyming as well uh so yeah it's really sweet and you can fly around and your hair wafts behind you oh that sounds lovely yeah i played it when i was um really hung over um <laughs> so i had to go go to central london at about nine in the morning feeling awful and then sit in this um this lovely like dimly lit white cube playing a game about being trapped inside a dream which i think was uh the, the best thing i needed right then <laughs> i've been playing goats too that's a strange game you play as a goat in a world where a goat could cause a lot of chaos um and there are lots of it's like a open world free roaming goat management game in which uh, there are a lot of things that are about to topple over, and if they were to be headbutted by a goat, um, chaos would ensue. And the thing is, it's actually really good. But it's not. It's not really good. It's shonky as hell, and um, not not really finished properly. And the tech is breaking, and it's buggy, but it does make you laugh really, really <laughs> hard. And um, it's full of ideas as well. So you might wander over and see. Um, a load of people kind of surrounding a ring and you walk into the ring and suddenly you're in a kind of goat wrestling match with another goat. Um, and that's funny. I mean, that's, you know, you don't, you've never done that in a game before. You've never dragged corpses into a pentagram to become the devil goat. Um, you've never strapped a jetpack to a goat to become the jet goat. You've never rolled a boulder into a petrol station so it explodes. And then Michael Bay... Like the, just the words Michael Bay flashes across the screen with a big exclamation mark. That's, you've never, never done that before. So, you know, it's full of things that you've never really done in a video game. Mm. It does them all quite badly, um, but it is trying new stuff. And I think Sounds awfully whimsical. It is It is whimsical. The only thing I don't like about it, well, it's not, not the only thing, but the, the main thing is I think they've got, they made a game that kids absolutely love. Like, every kid on this planet has dreamed of one day being a goat and just wandering around headbutting stuff until they fall over. Right? It's just what kids do. And um, the thing is, it's got quite a lot of swearing in it. So on the one hand, I kind of want to show it to all the kids, hey, look, you can be a goat. Look, why don't you headbutt that guy or headbutt that guy? Why don't you put the jetpack on? But then every time you headbutt, headbutt them, they kind of go, oh, shit, I'm hurt. Or, ow, shit, I'm hurt. But, you know, just so you feel a bit bad about kind of presenting mm-hmm. a... 10 or 11 year old with a thing that has swearing in it um, that's quite short sighted of them isn't it it is really um, but I don't think they really know what they're doing I mean there's no plan to go and see them <laughs> like, <they laughs> yeah. hey should we uh, market this to children or anything like that it's just like they've made a thing and uh, just cracked on with it so this but, is um, made by uh, Coffee Stain Studios yeah, so I think they do Sanctum don't they yeah they made Sanctum um, this, that's kind of a very serious well, not, not very serious, but quite like a, a well-produced um, uh, action moment. And I think that the thing that I like about... One of the things I like about Goats is that there, you see lots of things in games where, like a physics engine or a specific piece of technology or a weather system, you think, oh, you should make a game just about that. But then when you get the game that's finally been using it, it's like this kind of little feature that's actually just 
attached to a, a corridor shooter with guns in it. And it's always a little bit disappointing. Whereas I think in this time around, they've gone, you know what, we've got a physics engine. Let's just make a game about a physics engine. And it's not like stair dismount wasn't amazing or um, quop isn't amazing or it just like games like that that have a fun, like a single fundamental idea. Um, and they actually went out, they made a game about a goat, sold it, and now they can all buy Lamborghinis. Hooray! Yeah, I think they've been <laughs> quite shrewd about it because they've yeah. they've clearly gone. We're not going to spend too much time on this. If they spent six months on it, that would already be too much time to work yeah. on Goat Sim, and they no, wouldn't I know which. I I fundamentally disagree with that. I think time spent on Goat Sim is as valuable as time spent on everything else. Like, we've got a really good example of it. Like, it's just so. What's brilliant about this is that it came from a game jam where a really silly idea actually just captured people's attention and it got made, just like Surgeon Simulator. Yeah. And Boss have done so well off that. And they yeah. spent six months, seven months, putting it together after the game jam, which got so much attention. Like, exactly. And they turned it around, and it's it was at the top of Steam for a good while. And from the back of that, they're now doing internal game jams every couple of weeks at the studio. Not just so they can pump out anything, but it's, it's just so... It, it's like, look, silliness actually works really well. Yeah, it's, um, it's like um, mount, mount, mount Your Friends, which is a ridiculously stupid game about um, wrestlers um, kind of holding each other to build a tower. Um, you know, that is a really, it's a dumb idea, but put it in front of two or three people and they will laugh and laugh and laugh. That's, <laughs> that's what games can, like, we have this advantage that the thing we write and write and play can be super serious or it can just be so throwaway and I'm all for kind of single line jokes with punch lines that you can play and then stop playing mm. I, I do think people should spend three years making very silly things but Goat Sim is weird, it's almost like it's fundamentally opposed to the idea of polish like which physics bugs do you fix and which do you leave They have said that they're not that they're actively trying not to fix bugs that aren't game ending, like they said they've got to fix all the launch bugs and make sure the game runs, but physics engine bugs they want to leave in because it's it's part of the comedy. It is part. Yeah. Of, it is kind of part of the charm. Like occasionally, when you if you get stuck in something, your goat's face will vibrate faster and faster and faster until it's probably breaking the speed of light, which is kind of shocking, <laughs> shocking back around. You're like this is a video game. It's <laughs> back to that thing I was saying about games being fundamentally weird. Like I think it, I I'm not saying everyone rush out and buy goats in. Um, I'm saying when it's in the Steam sale for a pound, that will be a pound that buys you more laughter than any other pound you can spend. Like, I think we're all very privileged to uh, to have witnessed the birth of the slapstick genre, which I don't think yes. existed a few years ago. I also played um, Alien Isolation. It was quite good, and um, I think it is a good game. You played, you've um, played Alien, haven't you, Steve? Yes. Yeah, really enjoyed it. I was in very controlled um, circumstances, sitting in a dark room with yeah. uh, big headphones on and a chair that rumbled, which oh. uh, was just scary in itself. Did, what did you think of the alien? I was afraid of it. Okay. The only, the only problem I have with alien isolation is I love the atmosphere. I love, I love the setting of it. It's another space game. Like, you know, anything set in the space station with horror elements, like that's, I mean. Um, the thing is, when the alien stands up, he looks like a man in a suit. And he yeah. looks like a really shit man in a suit. I can't in help... Alien Isolation, you mean? 
or just in in general, like in every Alien game, as soon as as soon as they stand up, you're like, you're a load of rubbish. Um, you know, you 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 just would fall over in real life because you don't <laughs> got tiny spindly legs, and that tail isn't helping anything. Um, and actually, you don't have any eyes. So I don't know how you can see. You're touching on on a bit of alien mythology that I'm. It's it's ambiguous as to whether or not they have eyes or what sensors they're using when they're tracking you, which I think makes them even more scary, because when they're next to you, you can't tell if they can see you, or if they're deliberately pretending to be a bit blind <laughs> to lull you into a false sense of security. But I just found myself hiding behind the table, giggling, because I knew he couldn't see me. <laughs> You're ruining the game for yourself in that case. I know, I am a little bit. Um, but I just... I think... I think my, my kind of slightly serious point is that I'm slightly... I am worried that the alien itself is just not a scary monster anymore. Um, and if it just says boo a few times and jumps out at you, I don't think that's going to be enough. I think it, I think they have to work really, really hard to make the alien as, as, um, as ferocious and dangerous as possible because I just think... They've been so devalued over the past 10, 15 years mm. um, that that's the only issue I have. I think the looks like a man thing is an inherent problem with you know, like 70s sci-fi monsters. Like I was looking at development of The Predator and the first one was just a really tall man painted silver. <laughs> you know, That's how all of these things started. It was like the Incredible Hulk TV show. I like that the alien in isolation looks like a man in a suit. I think it's like a deliberate design choice to bring it closer to the, the original film. Because, mm. spoilers, in the original film, it was a man in a suit. It was a man in a suit. And um, yeah. <laughs> in subsequent alien games, I mean, look at Colonial Marines, which is an, an example of one of the worst alien games in, in recent history. They, they were just like, they were more dog-like. They were on all fours. Yeah. There was hundreds of them. You, could, you couldn't fit a man inside them. Um, but this one is uh, he's he's much bigger he sort of moves with sort of a, an exaggerated, you can imagine an actor inside him, yeah. like moving his limbs around. I like when we're not sure of its level of sentience but isolation might end with a Scooby-Doo moment where you pull the mask off <laughs> the <alien. laughs> and it's actually Bishop and then he pulls his face <laughs> off and it's someone else um, <laughs> just infinite uh, co-stars um, so eventually it's just Leslie Neal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a gif that came out of Aliens Colonial Marines where there's a drone going about in his business. He's like, hello, all right, you're right. Um, I don't know if people recognise it or remember it. Oh, it was one of those, because they invented an awful shit alien, yeah. which was like a white one and it was blind. Yeah. And it was it reacted to sound, so you had to sneak past them, which is, oh God, such a terrible, terrible decision to make. And if you just watched it, it sort of hobbled around with its with its hands up in front of its face, yeah. like it was just <laughs> tottering about, like going like shopping for something. But I just it think that that... so friendly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shall we um, shall we call a halt to the podcast because we've been talking for um, an hour. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, if you would, li- if you like us, you can subscribe to us on um, iTunes. And um, if you really like us, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash PC Games Network. And we're on Twitter, which is at PC Games N. That's the first time I've done that really well. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah, nice. I'm very proud of that. 
And uh, we have a website too, which is www.pcgamesend.com. Thank you for listening. You're all lovely. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Um, right, shall we uh, talk about the games we've been playing? Oh, um, could we also put in... Do you have some more news? No, no, so I've not interviewed anyone yet, but if I was to meet anyone really interesting uh, at Wargaming, like, I, I might get uh, okay. Fraser to say his, like, clown story. Okay. <laughs> um, but, so, basically... Okay, so Jules... Uh, all right, I'll do an intro. That'd be awesome. So Jules has um, been out and about again, and he may have interviewed a man. We don't know yet. Um, so here is a man that Jules has interviewed, possibly. Thanks to that person who <laughs> gave their time for our podcast. <laughs> cool, that was enlightening. I think we'll think a, on that quietly. There's got to be a better way of doing it than this. <laughs> <laughs> okay.